ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय सो वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग दिस एक्साइटिंग स्टोरी ऑफ दैट इंक्लूड्स नाउ Sati, Brahma, all the demigods, all the people who are at the sacrifice, Lord Shiva, Lord Vishnu at the ne- in the next chapter, and of course Daksha, and Brigu Muni, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A cast of characters, as they say. And we are uh, we've read the translation of text forty six, but we didn't get to the purport. So we're on chapter six. And what's happening here is um, Lord Brahma and others are offering prayers to the Lord, to Lord Shiva, to pacify him because he was a little upset. <laughs> and um, we're almost at the end of this chapter, and then we'll continue on to the next chapter where um, the request is that the sacrifice be uh, restarted. <clears throat> And if, if, if I might be, I might not be here during the Sunday open house when my my wife's going to make the announcement. Said if someone could remind her to uh, mention that uh, Gopal Agarwal left his body uh, this past week, yeah. and uh, it's a nice thing to announce. The person who, practically the first person to help Prabhupada's mission in America, right? He had he came to America with the name of one person. In Butler, Pennsylvania, a little town in western Pennsylvania, but because of that uh, because of him sponsoring his visa at that time, Prabhupada was allowed to enter america and um, and their daughter, I think her name was Kamala a daughter would call Prabhupada his daughter was like three years old and saw Prabhupada in his robes and called him Swami Jesus. <laughs> And Prabhupada was very happy, he said. He said, I feel blessed that she has given me such a name. And he was hoping to follow in the footsteps of Lord Jesus in preaching. My dear Lord, devotees who have fully dedicated their lives unto your lotus feet, certainly observe your presence as Paramatma in each and every being. And as such, they do not differentiate between one living being and another. Such persons treat all living entities equally. They never become overwhelmed by anger like animals who can see nothing without differentiation. So who's speaking? Lord Brahma. Yes, and later, we won't, get, we won't discuss it now because later in the next chapter, there's a discussion about how Brahma is calling Lord Shiva Paramatma. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, when the Supreme Personality of Godhead becomes angry, or kills a demon, materially this may appear unfavorable, but spiritually is a blissful blessing upon him. Therefore, pure devotees do not make any distinction between the Lord's anger and his blessings. They see both with uh, reference to the Lord's behavior with, uh, with others and themselves. A devotee does not find fault with the behavior of the Lord in any circumstances. So... Um, This is uh, not something that contemporary secular society can swallow too easily. 
right? And for and for partially good reasons, because sometimes people in the name of religion or spirituality will kill others, right? Um, yet the reality is that when Krishna does anything, it's for the good, and uh, that is a absolute statement of reality and so whether we kind of like that statement or not it doesn't really matter <laughs> you know I was reading the Brahma Samhita uh, yesterday and um, came across this verse when the purport Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur says for want of taste of things spiritual a grave doubt arises in the minds of those who are enchained by worldly knowledge on hearing a narrative of the pastimes of Krishna, they think that the truth, tattva, regarding Krishna is a mental concoction of certain learned scholars created by their imaginative brains out of material drawn from the mundane principles. With the object of removing this harmful doubt, Brahma, in this and the three following shlokas, after distinguishing between the two things, spirit and matter, in a rational manner, has tried to make one understand the pure lila of Krishna obtained by his unmixed ecstatic trance. So, um, so it's, it's not unusual for people to think Krishna's pastimes, the, the pastime we're reading now, the one we're reading about Dhruva Maharaj, the one we're reading about Ajamil, you know, the Bhagavatam is just full of really wonderful stories, but they are, after all, just stories. Right? Um, and that is kind of the secular way of the world today, um, the, way, the way people in the world think. It wasn't always like that. And elsewhere in the um, next chapter, I believe, Prabhupada is, you know, you know for, I remember when I first heard that, I said, what kind of proof is that? Because Prabhupada would say, well, great, great acharyas have accepted these pastimes. You know, in my first, I used to scratch my head. Well, you know, but but they're yeah, of course they're going to accept. But he, you know, the uh, the idea of accepting shastra as it is, and more importantly than well, equally as important, accepting Krishna as he is and as he describes himself. Right. In other words, if 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 Krishna is real and he's playing his flute in Vrindavan and doing all these things, does it matter if we believe that or not? Does that have any impact whatsoever on his pastimes? Right? It just is. Right? It just is. And uh, because of the way the world is today, as Srila Prabhupada would say, we have to, what did he say? We have to uh, spend, was the word? Gall uh, gallons and gallons of blood to make one person a devotee? <clears throat> right? Because people are just, the, the atmosphere in Kali Yuga, and especially in the past, 150, 200 years is that of doubting and faith in things, faith in science and philosophy, perhaps, but not religion and spirituality. Um, but that doesn't affect the fact that Krishna is dancing with the gopis, or bless you, or lifting over Don Hill, or doing any of those things. It doesn't impact those pastimes whatsoever, whether we accept or not. Um, but here's something that Prabhupada is saying that a devotee, uh, so a devotee has faith. Faith has a, faith, I, I, I'm reading a really 
I find it to be a really wonderful book by Hari Kirtan Prabhu. Um, the Pursuit of the Absolute Truth, I think it's called. But it's, um, it, he's a yoga teacher, right? He, you know, he's given Sunday feast talks here. Um, and so he's talking about the philosophy of yoga and f focusing mainly on the Gita and the teachings of Patanjali. And um, he brings up the point there that faith has a bad name in society today because usually there's a word that precedes it. What's the word that goes before faith usually? Blind faith, yes. But he, he, goes, he makes a good, strong argument that people have faith in so many things. Right? You know, you know, the simplest thing of that, you know, crossing the street, you're not going to get run over. But, you know, we have faith in so many things. Um, so it's a question of where to place that faith. And, and faith and knowledge are, are entwined in, 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 in Krishna consciousness. You can't say faith is here and knowledge is there. Um, by having that ado shraddha, that, uh, that initial faith, ado shraddha, um, then one, tata sadhu sangha, one associates with devotees, and then bhajana kriya, one does the work, and sometimes the hard work, we could even say, sometimes it feels that way, of sadhana, of practice. And then, you know, atashi krishna nama di nabhavekrayam induyai sevan mukehi jivado swayam eva sprachyadadi. Krishna, uh, by acting on that faith, Krishna um, uh, reveals himself. Janayat yasu vairagyam gyanam chayata haitukam. Causelessly, uh, without even an extra endeavor, knowledge and renunciation come to a person who has, has devotion. So here, we, we, so here, if we're trying to be devotees, we do not find fault with the behavior of the Lord. We may try to understand it. That's okay. You know, why, did, why did Krishna do that? Right? Why, didn't they, why didn't they just kill Ashvatthama? Why did they let him live and then he did so many terrible things afterwards? Right? Or why did he allow the battle of Kurukshetra? Why, you know, why, why, why? Okay, trying to understand Krishna, that's one thing. But uh, the, this is the, the, the faith in the reality of Krishna. Does that make sense? <laughs> right? And that he can, literally, he is uh, a Swarat, right? You know, uh, our uh, Mahatma Gandhi talked about Swaraj, right? And independence. And that was independence from Britain, right? Uh, Krishna is Swarat. He's independent of everything. So I remember Rinda Superbhu talked, I can't remember the poet, but he quotes this one poet who says, love means wanting the other person to be. And so there's that saying, right, that one sh if one approaches Lord Ramachandra even once and says, you are the supreme personality of Godhead, that there's so much import to that. It's not just saying you're, you're God. Right? But there's an import to that. I'm not God. <laughs> I'm meant to serve you, you know. And you can, as the supreme personality of God, you can do as you like. That doesn't mean Krishna does whimsical things. But it just means that we may not fully appreciate everything he does. Some thoughts on that? Yes, Mahamantrabhu. This was reminding uh, me a quote by Sachinandan Maharaj. A chanter with faith has a different experience than a chanter without faith. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we can be vibrating the words and our mind is elsewhere. Right. So I've been trying to focus on two things when I chant. 
lately, and that is that uh, this is my time to be with Krishna, and I have nothing else to do. Those two things. Anything else on this point? Okay, then let's move on to text 47. Persons who observe everything with differentiation, who are simply attached to fruitive activities, who are mean-minded, who are always pained to see the flourishing condition of others, and who thus give distress to them by uttering harsh and piercing words, have already been killed by providence. Thus, there is no need for them to be killed again by an exalted person like you. Prabhupada writes that persons who are materialistic and always engaged in fruitive activities for material profit cannot endure seeing the flourishing life of others. Except for a few persons in Krishna consciousness, the entire world is full of such envious persons who are perpetually full of anxieties because they are attached to the material body and are without self-realization. Since their hearts are always filled with anxiety, it is understood that they have already been killed by providence. So, um, so a few things here, right? So a devotee is non-envious. What is that in the very beginning of the Bhagavatam? What does it say about that? Dharma projita kaitravata paramo nirmatsaram satam. Nirmatsara means without envy, right? Yeah. So this Bhagavatam is actually meant for people who have transcended envy. And so there's so many ways we can try not to be envious. We see somebody who has, you know, a better car than us or a bigger house or, or maybe on a more spiritual, you know, spends more time with uh, our Gumaraj than I do or, or whatever. Um, there's, you know, you just try to, when those thoughts enter your mind, you just try to say, no, no, that's, not, that's envy, I should get rid of that, right? Um, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. We should try to, anukul yasya sankalpa pratikul yasya varjanam, right? To accept things that are favorable and reject things that are unfavorable. But on a, on a higher level is if our mind is just flooded with, love and appreciation and desire to serve Krishna, right? And thinking about how wonderful Krishna is and how by his mercy, even though I'm so insignificant, I have a relationship with him. Those kind of thoughts just don't allow envy to enter, right? And then if they do enter, Krishna gives us the intelligence. Say, no, well, that person, uh, they may be more advanced than me. That means they, they, they've uh, done something to deserve that. And let me try to follow in their footsteps instead of, instead of try to drag them down to my level. Right? So envy is, uh, it's, it's really no place for it in Krishna consciousness because a Krishna conscious person understands that, you know, uh, Mahamantra Prabhu, he has his relationship with Krishna and Krishna loves him. And so, so who am I to be envious of him or this or that? Right? And so if I'm, always, if, if I'm actually Krishna conscious, conscious of Krishna, then envy won't enter, enter because it, it will, will, uh, it's not part of the Krishna conscious program, so to speak. <laughs> Thoughts on envy? Okay, so then the other point here is 
that then this is part of it, right? That um, if someone is, uh, you know, has a not demoniac mindset or whatever, in one sense we don't have to get angry at them because they're already in pro trouble with the boss. <laughs> yeah, the big boss of Krishna, right? The, uh, and they're already, uh, they've already been killed by providence, uh, so to speak. Right, so <clears throat> generally there's no need, uh, except of course if someone blasphemes Krishna or Krishna's devotee, then, then some, another thing kicks in. But in general, um, it's just that uh, there's no need to, what does it say? To give distress to them by uttering harsh and piercing words, they've already been killed by providence. So not only that, but we can be compassionate to such people and try to give them some way of being Krishna conscious so that, that uh, they won't be killed by providence, they'll take shelter of Krishna. Thoughts? Yes. Um, I remember, I don't know where I read Prabhu, but we need to love others, not just devotees, but others, because Krishna loves them. Yes. You may not agree with the behavior, but because they are part and parcel of Krishna and Krishna loves them, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, where, I don't know where you heard that. Love, respect, definitely, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, because we because we respect super souls in their heart, right? And uh, when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, of course, these were devotees, but when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur was paid obeisances by his disciples, right? He would say, "What that's me," right? Because he saw he was thinking of Krishna in their heart. Yeah. One thing that's really interesting here is that, um, well, this comes, up, this comes up a little later. We'll talk about that a little later. My dear Lord, if in some places materialists who are already bewildered by the insurmountable, you like that word? Insurmountable illusory energy. Anyone ever had that experience that it seems insurmountable? Of the, of the Supreme Godhead sometimes commit offenses a saintly person with compassion does not take this seriously. Knowing that they commit offenses because they are overpowered by the illusory energy, he does not show his prowess to counteract them. So, of course, Brahma's kind of preaching a little indirectly or pretty directly here, right? Um, and it says in the purport that It is said that the beauty of a tapasvi, or saintly person, is forgiveness. Right? So, and we'll see that in Lord Shiva next chapter. He's just like, right? He's totally pacified. He, um, I, and, and he even, he, uh, it's like, have, have you ever uh, had some kind of injury that left a scar? Right? So the injury's gone but there's still a scar. So that's kind of like what he did with Brigu and Daksha. He, he relieved them, of, but, but Daksha still had a bit of a scar, <laughs> a different head. And uh, you know, some people were missing their teeth and you know, things like that. So there was a little scar left. But My dear Lord, 
You are never bewildered by the formidable influence of the illusory energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, you are omniscient and should be merciful and compassionate toward those who are bewildered by the same illusory energy and are very much attached to fruitive activities. My dear Lord Shiva, you are a shareholder of a portion of the sacrifice and you are the giver of the result. The bad priest did not deliver your share and therefore you destroyed everything and the sacrifice remains unfinished. Now you can do the needful and take your rightful share. My dear Lord, by your mercy, the performer of the sacrifice, King Daksha, may get back his life. Bhaga may get back his eyes, Brigu his mustache, and Pusha his teeth. O Lord Shiva, may the demigods and the priests whose limbs have been broken by your soldiers recover from the injuries by your grace. O destroyer of the sacrifice, please take your portion of the sacrifice and let the sacrifice be complete by your grace. And that ends that chapter. Okay, so now the next chapter. The sage Maitreya said, O mighty arm Vidura, Lord Shiva, being thus pacified by the words of Lord Brahma, spoke as follows in answer to Lord Brahma's request. Lord Shiva said, My dear father Brahma, I do not mind the offenses created by the demigods, because these demigods are childish and less intelligent. I do not take a serious view of their offenses, and I have punished them only in order to right them. Prabhupada writes that there's two kinds of punishment. One is that which a conqueror imposes on an enemy, and the other is like, the fa like a father imposes on his son. Lord Shiva is by nature a Vaishnava, a great devotee, and his name in this connection is Ashutosha. He is always satisfied, and therefore he did not become angry as if he were an enemy. He is not inimical to any living, any living entity. Rather, he, is always wish, he always wishes the welfare of all. Whenever he chastises the person, it is just like a father's punishment of his son. Lord Shiva is like a father because he never takes seriously any offense by any living entity. So he seems pacified here, right? And he says he doesn't mind offenses. But then if we go back, we read things like in the uh, fifth chapter, verse 2, Thus, Lord Shiva became extremely angry, pressed his lips with his teeth, and immediately snatched from his head a strand of hair which blazed like electricity or fire. He stood up at once, laughing like a madman, and dashed the hair to the ground. Right? <laughs> so, but here he says, I don't mind the offenses. So what's going on? Yes, uh, microphone. Yeah, <clears throat> I thought that was a great scene when he tore out his hair. <laughs> Which but one? When when Shiva got angry oh, and tore, tore yeah, it. Yeah. <clears throat> but what it what it made me think of is that that's kind of his nature because when he when he destroys uh, rolls back you know, destroys all the creation. That's what he does. He dances around right. and he acts crazy. So he, uh, from what I've read, he does like actual dance. Okay, he does, he does so the that's dance kind of, of his nature when he gets excited. He, he'll do that. <laughs> What's the name of that dance in Sanskrit? The Tandava. dance of... Tandava, yeah. So, okay. So it seemed Other like very in character. 
Uh, I was thinking, uh, at that moment he was angry, but not, he didn't have uh, any malicious uh, inside his heart. He mm. was angry because his wife has been right. killed and they didn't do anything. So, at that moment he was angry, but... Right, he so he was, yes, and she's a Vaishnavi. Yeah. So he was angry at the offense to a Vaishnavi and also to his wife, but you know. So it, it's kind of like... Um, a good instruction for us, right? We're allowed, or allowed, we're expected to get angry at those that uh, speak ill or offend, especially other Vaishnavas. You know? um, so he did that. But for his own, for his own needs, you know, that, so, that, so I don't see a contradiction in one sense between the two. He, you know, angry, uh, upset about what happened to his wife, but also that she's She's the material energy. She's certainly a great, great devotee. Um, and the offense committed against her were so grievous and, that, and, and the action she took so extreme, right? But then, it, but for his own, like, you know, just like a child, uh, you know, steps on your toes or something, you know. I just, yesterday I was, in, I was in the air. I'm usually in airports most of my life. Uh, and so one of the, you know, you know, it's like three-year-olds, you know, running around in circles, running around in circles, running around in circles, and ran right into me. I just laugh, smile, and, you know, keep moving, right? Of course, if a 40-year-old did that, might be a little bit more upset, right? But he just sees them, oh, these demigods. He says, childish and less intelligent. So he didn't take personal offense. You are going to say, add something for someone? Andy? I was also reading another pastime of Lord Shiva, uh-huh. and uh, <clears throat> when he tries to uh, marry Pavarti after she gets incarnated, yeah, and he, gets, he's she, like traveling to her to South India, and and some other forces are trying to prevent him from getting there to marry her, and she's vowed that she, if she can't. Uh, like on the third day, if she can't marry Lord Shiva, she's going to give up her body. And he knows that. He's trying to get there. And then they fool him. Whoever doesn't want him to get there, I don't remember who. And they Where make it look this? like the sun is coming up, right? And so he thinks he's failed, right? But he doesn't, and it's, it hurts him a lot because he really saw her and he really wanted to marry her. And he think, But when, when he hits that obstacle... He just goes up to a mountain and sits on tops and meditates. So that's how he, he's very hurt, but then he drops it right away and just goes into meditation. Where did the, you read that? I actually heard it on YouTube. Someone was recounting that story. Okay. I, I, I'm not familiar with it, so I'm not sure. If I'll, I'll try to look it up uh, later. Authority. Okay. But, but yes, it, I mean, I could see Lord Shiva, you know, of course he does. Um, he he was that's what he was doing in this pastime, right? He was in yeah. uh, Kailash, uh, in this beautiful place, and he was so pacified and meditating. So let's continue. Um, oh, sorry. Um, no, no problem. Um, I was just going to say, like Prabhupada writes in the paragraph, um, he's always satisfied, and therefore he did not become angry as if he were an enemy. So I was thinking that's like a very significant point of about, you know, when somebody is angry, you know, one is like you have some 
animosity towards the other person. Right. But when, when one is satisfied, there's, you know, one is not in need of anything from the other person. So, like, mm. you know, it's... Nice. So and, and even the same thing about envy. Envy comes so much because we're dissatisfied. And if there's satisfaction, where's the point of, you know, question of envy? Like, I'm not in need of anything. Nice. Yeah. And we can see that also in, in Srila Prabhupada, that uh, he, he would sometimes exhibit anger as, as a choice rather than as influenced by the mode of passion or ignorance. And the... the, the um, the way that manifests is sometimes, you know, to, to teach a disciple, he might chastise him, sometimes even very strongly. But then I, I, I've, I've talked to devotees who are in the room when that happens, and then the next second, Prabhupada is just totally pacified. Like for us, right, if we're very angry, it takes us some, day, some minutes, hours to calm down, right? And kind of... But for him, it was just that he just exhibited the anger as a service to Krishna... And then when it wasn't no longer needed as a service, he was just right back to, yeah, so very advanced <laughs> stage. Lord, he's not controlled by the anger, right? Yes. Lord Shiva continued. Oh, yes. Mahamantra continued. Devakinandan Prabhu asking, why was he envious? Why was Daksha envious? Uh-huh. Daksha? Right? Yeah. So, I was just thinking, like, with this whole context, it appears materially he possessed everything, but he, still he became envious. Yes. And uh, so, pride is also the cause of Dissatisfaction, though you have very good pride is a cause of dissatisfaction. Yes, so that's what I was thinking. About. Yeah, very good point. Yes, because we can be proud if we have a penny or if we have crores and crores of rupees or dollars, right? Doesn't mean we're satisfied. Yes, and you see that, right? You see that with so many very, very wealthy people. They don't just say, "Okay." I mean, not most of them don't just say that. Got enough, right? They keep on doing business, whatever, generally. Lord Shiva continued, Since the head of Daksha has already been burned to ashes, he will have the head of a goat. The demigod, known as Bhaga, will be able to see his share of sacrifices through the eyes of Mitra. The demigod Pusha will be able to chew only through the teeth of his disciples, and if alone, he will have to satisfy himself by eating dough made from chickpea flour. I'm trying to think of what that is. Pishta book? Yeah? I think this means that basically because he won't have teeth, so he can't like chew on anything hard. Right. And then so he just has to like swallow so, flour, like you just yeah. mix it in water. Yeah. Can he have smoothies? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But the demigods who have agreed to give me my share of the sacrifice will recover from all their injuries. That's an interesting distinction there. Right? Those who have 
had their arms cut off will have to work with the arms of Ashwini Kumara. And those whose hands were cut off will have to do their work with the hands of Pusha. The priests will also have to act in that manner. As for Bhrigu, he will have the beard from the goat's head. Very creative punishments. Uh, the great sage Maitreya said, my dear Vidura, all the personalities present were very much satisfied in heart and soul upon hearing the words of Lord Shiva, who is the best among the bene benedictors. So it might be they saw mercy, they saw benediction. They also might have thought it was going to be worse. <laughs> right? And so they, oh, okay, you know, I can deal with that. Right? And they might have, because if, if uh, you know, it was better than the status quo. Right? At least they had some abilities there. Yes. But really, they saw the mercy of a Vaishnava. Text 7. Thereafter, Bhrigu, the chief of the great sages, invited Lord Shiva to come to the sacrificial arena. Thus, the demigods, accompanied by the sages, Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma, all went to the place <clears throat> where the great sacrifice was being performed. After everything was executed exactly as directed by Lord Shiva, Daksha's body was joined to the head of the animal meant to be killed in the sacrifice. When the animal's head was fixed on the body of King Daksha, Daksha was immediately brought to consciousness, and as he awakened from sleep, the king saw Lord Shiva standing before him. At that time, when Daksha saw Lord Shiva, who rides upon a bull, his heart, which was polluted by envy of Lord Shiva, was immediately cleansed just as the water in a lake is cleansed by autumn rains. King Daksha wanted to offer prayers to Lord Shiva, but as he remembered the ill-fated death of his daughter Sati, his eyes filled with tears, and in bereavement his voice choked up, and he could not say anything. At this time, King Daksha, afflicted by love and affection, was very much awakened to his real senses. With great endeavor, he pacified his mind, checked his feelings, and with pure consciousness began to offer prayers to Lord Shiva. So, uh, so in our life, so Daksha made a big mistake, right? Uh, again, in, first by uh, offending Lord Shiva in the sacrificial, sacrificial arena, and then secondly by his dealings with his daughter, um, and now, you know, in 2020 hindsight, he's, yeah. So the, one of the uh, challenges for us as devotees is to try to act properly all the time or as much as we can so we don't have to lament and ask forgiveness and, uh, you know, lament, uh, what is it, um, yeah, remembered his ill-fated death and filled with bereavement, right, and all those things. So that is the challenge for us um, to be so well situated in the mode of goodness and in Krishna consciousness that we don't do stupid things. Now, luckily for us, Krishna, you know, can forgive us like Lord Shiva did, but I, I, ideally, better to not have to beg forgiveness in the first place because we didn't do anything to ask forgiveness from <laughs> for 
So that is, that's one of our great challenges, actually, in life. Any thoughts on that? Okay, so now we're going to hear Daksha. Even though he couldn't talk at first, now he's going to talk. And he says, my dear Lord Shiva, I committed a great offense against you. But you are so kind that instead of withdrawing your mercy, you have done me a great favor by punishing me. You and Lord Vishnu never neglect even useless, unqualified pramanas. Why then should you neglect me who am engaged in performing sacrifices? My dear, great, and powerful Lord Shiva, you were created first from the mouth of Lord Brahma in order to protect the brahmanas in pursuing education, austerities, vows, and self-realization. As protector of the brahmanas, you always protect the regulated principles they follow, just as a coward boy keeps a stick in his hand to give protection to the cows. I did not know your full glories. For this reason, I threw arrows of sharp words at you in the open assembly, although you did not take them into account. I was going down to hell because of my disobedience to you, who are the most respectable personality, but you took compassion upon me and saved me by awarding punishment. I request that you be pleased by your own mercy, since I cannot satisfy you by my words. And Prabhupada writes, As usual, a devotee in an adverse condition of life accepts such a condition to be the mercy of the Lord. Factually, the insulting words used by Daksha against Lord Shiva were enough to have him thrown perpetually into a hellish life. But Lord Shiva, being kind towards him, awarded him punishment to neutralize the offense. So again, that, that's also interesting, isn't it? The punishment helped to offset. So these things about having to eat through other people and all that sort of stuff, it neutralized the effect of the offenses. Um, it was interesting. <laughs> I read this sentence uh, Last night, uh, as usual, a devotee in an adverse condition of life accepts such a condition to be the mercy of the Lord. Um, so it's, I know it's such a small thing, but uh, my the battery on my computer stopped working, <laughs> and I was like, getting, oh, jeez, you know, I got to go to the Apple Store. This is going to cost me so much money, and all that. And then I read this verse, <laughs> this sentence: <laughs> a devotee in an adverse condition of life accepts the condition as the mercy of the Lord. <laughs> oh gosh. I forgot to remember Krishna when I was going through this. <laughs> like that. So, um, so point being that it's not just a nice sentence, but we should try to apply it in our lives. Right? The tendency is to immediately want to fix things when something goes wrong, change the material circumstances, or um, or to just get you know. Um, uh, in anxiety and, you know, go out and eat 10 gulab jamans or whatever, you know. Um, but what Prabhupada is saying here and what Krishna says in the Gita is first take shelter and remember him when the going gets tough. Tasmat sarveshu kaleshu mama nusmara yudhyacha. Krishna says to remember him and then do our, take care of our different duties. So that's, and that's from that basically from that verse in the tenth canto, Tatenu Kampam, Shuksha Mikshamano, that uh, a devotee accepts the adverse conditions in life as Krishna's mercy. And instead of faulting Krishna, or instead of 
doing any other reaction, one actually with one's heart, one's mind, one's words, takes shelter of the Lord. And one who can do that, because the Shastra recognizes it's not easy to do. I think it's also Lord Brahma speaking. Um, Lord Brahma recognizing that that's not easy to do. And if we are able to do it, then jivetiyo mukti padesa bayadayabak. We actually inherit the kingdom of God just by being able to do that when difficulties come our way. That's how um, hard it is to do that. So there's that point, and now this next point that Lord Shiva gave punishments to help neutralize the offense. And Daksha somehow got the intelligence to recognize that. Right? That's what it says in the next sentence. He realized this, and feeling obliged for the Lord's magnanimous behavior, wanted to show his gratitude. So we've talked a lot about gratitude, but it's just like, you know, it's just the opposite of so many bad qualities, being grateful. It's such an important quality to cultivate. Mm. Sometimes the father punishes his child, and when the child is growing up and comes to his senses, he understands that the father's punishment was not actual punishment, but mercy. Similarly, Daksha appreciated that the punishment offered to him by Lord Shiva was a manifestation of Lord Shiva's mercy. That is the symptom of a person making progress in the path of Krishna consciousness. It is said that a devotee in Krishna consciousness never takes any miserable condition of life to be a condemnation by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He accepts the miserable conditions to be the grace of the Lord. He thinks, I would have been punished or put into a more dangerous condition of life due to my past misdeeds, but the Lord has protected me. Thus I have received only a little punishment as token execution of the law of karma. So that is the rest of that translation of that verse, which is chapter 10, no, Canto 10, chapter 14, verse 8. Yeah, 10, 14, 8. Yeah. Thinking of his grace in that way, a devotee always surrenders to the Supreme Personality of God more and more seriously and is not disturbed by such so-called punishment. So it's a tall order, but it's what we actually need to, if we want to make advancement, need to come to that stage to make advancement in Krishna consciousness. Some thoughts on that? No? Okay. Yes? Um. I'm really appreciating like how Daksha from the enviousness, pride and all that, he moved towards gratitude, you know, for clean, being cleansed with that uh, yeah. mentality. Yeah, he really got a head on his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, he was dead, so you know. <laughs> What's that? So he was pretty grateful. You know? He was dead? Yeah, right? Yeah. He was brought back to life. So, yeah, if you have a, a, a near-death experience, right, um, it, may, it may sober us up a little bit. Right? Yeah. Yes, Boo. 
So, um, in the previous verses, it says that um, the scientists, they believe that uh, consciousness mm. comes from brain mm -hmm. and uh, it's not true because uh, we can see in Daksha's case that even though he lost his head and he got a goat's head, still his consciousness was there. Yes, that's right. So, uh, I heard from a devotee saying that uh, um, there was a 14-year-old kid who was being shot by a store owner in, in U.S. and three-fourths of his head was lost. But he survived and he finished his graduate school and everything. Sure. But it proves that um, not because of the brain he's alive or doing things, but because of the soul, because of the consciousness from the soul he's survived. So well, that's the yeah. proof, yeah. The brain itself is earth, water, fire, air, ether, you know, combination of gross matter, right? right? Uh, and it's a yantra, that's what Krishna calls it in the Gita, a machine. And then there is mind, intelligence, and ego, which uh, called the, the subtle uh, body, right? Um, but it also, they're also yantra, they're also still a machine, they're just a subtle machine. But the soul is that which um, powers even the mind, intelligence, and ego. Yeah, probably, there's like two purports previously about that, yeah. Other thoughts? Yep. You, you brought the point that he was happy to be Revived. Or back to life, yeah. Yeah. Or is that, or uh, he was happy to be relieved of the ill consciousness? Yes, he was very happy about that. Uh, how that happened seems like it was the mercy of Lord Shiva, right? Because you know, if we, if we, if uh, if just by dying we got rid of our envy, then we none of us would be here. <laughs> if it was that easy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Text 16, the great sage Maitreya said, Thus being pardoned by Lord Shiva, King Daksha, with the permission of Lord Brahma, again began the performance of the Yajna, along with the great learned sages, the priests, and others. Thereafter, in order to resume the activities of sacrifice, the Brahmanas first arranged to purify the sacrificial arena of the contamination caused by the touch of Virabhadra, and the other ghostly followers of Lord Shiva. Then they arranged to offer into the fire the oblations known as Purodhasha. Prabhupada writes, um, talks about deity worship. He says, to offer anything in an unclean state is called a seva aparad. The worship of the Vishnu deity in the temple, or in our case the Krishna deity, is also Vishnu uh, yagna. In all Vishnu temples, therefore, the priests who take care of the Archana Vidhi must be very clean. Everything should be always kept clean and neat, and the foodstuff should be prepared in a neat and clean manner. All these regulated principles are described in the nectar of devotion. So, um, Prabhupada said, deity worship has two fo primary focuses. What are they? 
Yes, punctuality and cleanliness. Correct. Yes. So, and I think uh, I, I don't spend a lot of time during the week here at the temple, but anytime I look at the kitchen after they're done, the kitchen looks spotless. So uh, I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, because most people don't. Uh, I think I told you that I, we had um, Jamuna Matsuchi live at our house in Rindavan for a month once, and also we've taken prasadam with her a few times in America. Um, and she was trained personally by Prabhupada how to cook. And her training was that as she was cooking, she was cleaning. So the whole time she was cooking, the kitchen was spotless. I mean, just spotless. And that's the way she was trained by Prabhupada. Sometimes, you know, most of us, we would cook or at least maybe do a, a great cleanup afterwards. But during the cooking, it, you know, there's flour here and this, that, you know, it's all over the place. But she, but it was totally spotless the whole time she was uh, cooking because that was uh, the training that she got from Srila Prabhupada. And you could, you could, when you tasted the prasadam that she cooked, uh, it was really amazing. Also, she would chant very devotionally the Mangala Charana before she started cooking. Every time, Om like that. Yeah, it was quite, uh, in other words, her cooking was really a spiritual sadhana. So cleanliness, very important. Then Prabhupada kind of indirectly quotes, he says, in, in, it is required, therefore, that one be extremely careful not to be unclean. Generally, whenever any ritual ceremony is begun, the holy name of the Lord is first chanted in order to purify the situation. Whether one is in a pure or impure condition, internally or externally, if one chants or even remembers the holy name of the Supreme Personality of God at Vishnu, one immediately becomes purified. So that's that verse, Om Apavitra Pavitova Sarvagashangatopiva, right? That we chant at initiations. Um, whether purified or unpurified or having passed through all kinds of tribulations, uh, one who remembers the uh, Pundarigaksha, the lotus-eyed Supreme Personality of God, it is purified within and without. It's a wonderful verse. So here he's quoting that. So. In, in addition to being clean and punctual, if we have to remember the real cleanliness comes from remembering the Supreme Lord. Hmm. So you can imagine that it was a pretty messy scene. I mean, could you imagine uh, it would hit the, new, the ISKCON news or Dandavat websites in a second if, you know, there was, there was, you know, I don't know, whatever, a initiation ceremony and someone comes and passes stool and urine. <laughs> just like, you know, uh, we can't even kind of imagine it today, right? But that, it happened here, right? With all these great, great personalities, they just really messed up the place really bad. So they had to, uh, you would think, uh, at least uh, nowadays, you'd get, you'd get a, you know, a truck full of cow dung to uh, purify the situation. You know, but... Srila Prabhupada really, really presented a very, very high standard of uh, deity worship, right? Of, uh, especially in the temples. Temples, you know, clean, you know cleanliness to the uh, top degree and punctuality, you know. There was time, right, Prabhupada was walking from his room in Vrindavan to the temple and a devotee was kind of running by. He was a little, the devotee was a little late for the arti. And running by, and Prabhupada said to turn to his servant, said, 
it is not so easy to be a brahmana. Right? So, punctuality. So he did not subscribe to the, uh, in India, what is it, IST, Indian stretchable time? Right? That, you know, Bhagme, everyone's late for everything, isn't it? Right? Everything's late in India. Uh, he did, no, no, especially not with deity worship. Exactly, you know, and so devoted, you know, the, the pujaris, you know, they, they have the conch shell in hand and they're waiting for that second hand to go right to the 12. Then they blow the conch shell. Right? Just right on time. Like that. So punctuality and cleanliness are important. Some thoughts? Yes. Microphone? I just want to reflect on your comment on the time. Uh, it might sound funny, but uh, you know, time is a new, new thing for us. Time uh, is a new thing for us. Yeah, we we do not believe, or we never believed in time. Time is a creation that that is uh, that not as a creation; it's an adjustment for the mind to do certain activities to empower and and uh, follow certain path or instructions. Uh, but if we refer to Patanjali here, uh, he never believed in that. He he always said, "Time. What is time? There is no time. Well, there might there might be a versions of it, but uh, but these days, yes, I agree with your IST. Uh, maybe we are still learning. It's a good point that time <laughs> in the spiritual world is conspicuous by its absence." Uh, everything is in the now, you could say, right? Um, and the kala shakti, the energy, uh, which, uh, it, you know, kala, kala means time, right? And shakti means energy, is a, um, it's a rel as you're kind of pointing out, it's a relative term, right? Because uh, it's even relative, for example, you'll see that, uh, like, it's summertime right now, right? So when we were children, uh, or, or any of the children that are out, uh, out in school right now, they often think of uh, the summer holidays, wow, that was really long, right? And as you get older, um, the, the, day, the days, the weeks, the months, even the years seem to fly by, right? Even though it's it, it, by by the clock, it's the exact same amount of time, right? The two months a child has a vacation. Of course, sometimes <laughs> if the parents have a, a few children, they do think it's taking too long for the summer to go by because they're they're trying to entertain their kids for two months. But that's that's a separate thing. Um, and we've talked about this, right? If if the the if the class is very boring, right, then time seems to go so slow. Oh my God, there's still. 25 more minutes, right? And if things are very, very interesting or you're really enjoying something, then sometimes time, it's the same amount of time, but it's relative according to our mind. And, uh, and even in this world, things, things are relative, right? Because as in, the, in the sense of time being illusory, in the sense that na sato vidite bhavo, na bhavo vidite sataha, Krishna says that um, reality is things that are 
eternal, and illusion, in one sense, is, uh, has no substance. Uh, it's, uh, matter has no substance in the sense that it's temporary. Now, it's real, obviously. Right, it's real, but it's, uh, but it's temporary. That's the Vaishnava definition. So yes, time is a very, very interesting. Uh, and Krishna says, time I am. In, in one manifestation, one manifestation of Krishna in this material world is time because it, it takes away everything in due course. And people, um, because, so, you know, if we, uh, if we read something like the Brahma Samhita, right, and uh, I, I was just reading it uh, yesterday, and uh, you know it, the the verse venum kanantam aravinda dalayatakshyam, and the purport says the matchless beauty of Krishna, matchless beauty, the supreme Lord of Goloka, is being described. Krishna is the all-pervading cognition, has a spiritual form of his own. The form of Krishna is not a fanciful, fanciful creation of imagination. And he goes on to, so. Um, when we're connected with the eternal things, but for people who don't have some gyan, some knowledge, some understanding that we're, this, we're eternal, we're this soul, you don't really want to think about time too much. Right? Because it's scary. Because uh, old age is no fun. And death is certainly, you know, because it takes away everything we think is real. So yeah, time is a very, very interesting. Uh, time is injected into the material world with a glance of uh, Lord Vishnu or Sadashiva, along with our karma, right? Um, what else? The glance of the Lord, the time factor. Oh, and the living entities. Did you want to say that? Is the mic on? Yep. Um. Doesn't time depend on what planet you're on? Like, if you're on Saturn. What planet you're on, yes, that's also, yeah. it's, it's relative in that sense also. And, like, didn't the, yeah. the great Rishis say teleportation was possible? They lived a very long time, the great Rishis. And we live a very, 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 very long time compared to, um, what are those flies? The ones that, li that live for, like, you know, a few hours? Mayfly. Mayfly, yeah, mayfly, right, yeah. So time is relative in that sense also. Yeah, so we, people, a mayfly looks at us and just think, right? And we look at Lord Brahma, and Srila Prabhupada writes that uh, Lord Brahma's, how many trillion? Three trillion? 640 million? Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, that long time. Uh, he says it's a... He says it's a lightning, 311 trillion. Yes, it's a lightning flash in eternity. A lightning flash. Here today, gone tomorrow. But we're still thinking, oh, you know, I got up yesterday, got up today, I'm going to just keep getting up, you know, in the morning every day. But the reality is that for all of us, we're, you know, we're driving in a car that's eventually going to hit a wall. Krishna says that one who is born 
death is certain. And for one who has, uh, has passed away, uh, birth is certain. Therefore, the an unavoidable discharge of your duties, you should not lament. Right? Because, you know, in the back of our mind, we, some, we hear about someone passing away and we say, oh, it's too bad. Not, not too often, unless we're really, you know, kind of philosophically minded, do we think, well, it's going to happen to me one day. What should I do now to prepare for that? Right? Like that. Hmm. Okay, uh, any other thoughts? Okay, so that was the time. And now we're on to the next verse. The great sage Maitreya said to Vidura, My dear Vidura, as soon as King Daksha offered the clarified butter with Yajurveda mantras in sanctified meditation, Lord Vishnu appeared in his original form as Narayana. Lord Narayana was seated on the shoulder of Stotra or Garuda, who had big wings. As soon as the Lord appeared, all directions were illuminated, diminishing the luster of Brahma and the others present. His complexion was blackish, his garment yellow like gold, and his helmet as dazzling as the sun. His hair was bluish, the color of black bees, and his face was decorated with earrings. His eight hands held a conch shell, wheel, club, lotus flower, arrow, bow, shield, and sword, and they were decorated with golden ornaments such as mangles and bracelets. His whole body resembled a blossoming tree, beautifully decorated with various kinds of flowers. Lord Vishnu looked extraordinarily beautiful because the goddess of fortune uh, and a garland were situated on his chest. His face was beautifully decorated with a smiling attitude which can captivate the entire world, especially the devotees. Fans of white hair appeared on both sides of the Lord like white swans, and the white canopy overhead looked like the moon. As soon as Lord Vishnu was visible, all the demigods, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, the Kantarvas, and all present there immediately offered their respectful obeisances by falling down straight before him. In the presence of the glaring effulgence of the bodily luster of Narayan, everyone else's luster faded away. And everyone stopped speaking. Fearful with awe and, and veneration, all present touched their hands to their heads and prepared to offer their prayers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Adhoksaja. It's another name for Narayan, Krishna. Although the mental scope of even demigods like Brahma was thus unable to comprehend the unlimited glories of the Supreme Lord, they were all able to perceive the transcendental form of the Supreme Personality of God by His grace. Only by such grace could they offer their respectful prayers according to their different capacities. Prabhupada writes, so just try to, try to fathom this because it's unfathomable, really. The Supreme Lord, the Personality of God, is always unlimited. What is unlimited? Can you imagine unlimited? Right? Just like imagine unlimited ice cream. Right? So here the glories uh, uh, are unlimited. And his glories cannot be completely enumerated by anyone, even personalities like Lord Brahma. It is said that Ananta, a direct incarnation of the Lord, has unlimited mouths. 
And with each mouth he has been trying to describe the glories of the Lord for an unlimited span of time. Yet the glories of the Lord remain unlimited. And he therefore never finishes. So we might say, well, the Bhagavatam is limited, right? It's uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, if you break it up, 18,000 verses or 14,000 if you just count it, whatever it is, right? So we can say, well, I read, I read the book. So it has a beginning, it has an end. But because the book is describing Krishna and his pastimes, um, and it's a, it's a relationship between the reader and the subject matter, one can read it again and again and get more unlimited realizations and understandings from it. Right? Um, so the Bhagavatam in that sense is also unlimited. So it's... We, <laughs> So if we, if we just accepted those few sentences that we just read, we might, next time we look at Radha Madan Mohan, have a different take, right? That it's just, it's, it's, it's inconceivable how expansive Krishna's wonderful glories are. And we will never be able to fully know them. Um, that's Okay. And so here it says, this point, this capacity, so uh, I really like the sentence, it is not possible for any ordinary living entity to understand or to glorify the unlimited uh, personality of God, but one can offer prayers or service to the Lord according to one's particular capacity. So whatever understanding we have, whatever realization Krishna has granted us, we can at least offer that much appreciation back to the Lord. This capacity is increased by the service spirit. Sevan mukehi jivadho means that the service of the Lord begins with the tongue. This refers to chanting. By chanting Hare Krishna, one begins the service of the Lord. Another function of the tongue is to taste and accept the Lord's prasad. We have to begin our service to the unlimited with the tongue and become perfect in chanting and accepting the Lord's prasad. So you're probably really good at accepting the Lord's prasad. may have to work on the chanting a little bit. <laughs> but actually, we've talked about this, accepting the Lord's prasad is also an art because it's prasad seva. So we're actually offering our prayers to the prasadam and our appreciation uh, for the... for. Our gratefulness, remember we talked about gratitude, our gratitude to the Lord for offering that prasadam. And Prabhupada goes on to say that uh, we shouldn't eat unwholesome edibles, um, but we should take prasadam. Oh, and then he has this beautiful sentence. It's a, kind of a famous sentence amongst devotees. Uh, Chanting is a medicine and prasad is a diet. Right? Because most doctors, they give you, you know, at least a good doctor will you know, give you some medicine. In the West, sometimes they just give you some pills, bus. Right? But, but a good doctor will also say, here's what you should eat and what you should not eat. Right? Because you are what you eat. As I say, that's another saying, right? But chanting is the medicine and prasad is the diet. Some thoughts on this? So we uh, should um, offer Krishna food with love and devotion rather than, uh, what is it, lust and commotion.
Right? Uh, we should take the time to, uh, whatever we have in our home, whether we have a picture of, the, of Srila Prabhupada and, and the Panchatattva, the Lord Chaitanya, or whether we have deities or the de- picture of the deities here, we should take the time to have a separate plate that only used for s- serving the Lord. And according to our capacity, if we have a Tulsi plant, put some Tulsi leaves on the preparations. If we don't have that, uh, if we're very new to it, at least chant Hare Krishna. Uh, otherwise, usually uh, we chant uh, um, she, our spiritual master's pranam mantras, Srila Prabhupada's pranam mantras, mantra to Lord Chaitanya that begins Namo Mahavadanyaya, and uh, mantra to Lord Krishna that begins Namo Brahmanya Devaya. And we say those three times each, and uh, then give it a few minutes to be there on the altar and then take it and honor the prasadam. If we're in a rush, I mean, if we're, you know, there's, there are contingency plans, right? Uh, so there's another Bengali prayer that we say, Sharira Avijjajal Jutendri. So in the perfection of yoga, Srila Prabhupada says you can offer your prasadam with that prayer. So... Um, and you can also offer offer prasadam in your mind. Let's say you're at a business event and you order a salad with olive oil or something like that. You can't, you know, get down on the ground and start saying, your colleagues might look at you a little strange, right? But at least in your mind you can be, like that. So according to the time, but it, not that we have, we have plenty of time we have a nice picture, but we just go, Ram Ram. Om Tat Sat, thanks a lot. <laughs> right? Or, or uh, we shorten it, right? Sari Radha Vijjal, Premidako, Chaitanya Nitai. You know, so uh, we try to, uh, according to the time, place, and circumstances, try to offer as much devotion as we can. So, any thoughts on Prashadam? Am I making you hungry? We still have uh, two hours before the feast. Yes, Prabhu. Microphone? I think, Prabhu, what you just mentioned about um, honoring the prasadam, the time, place, and circumstances is important. And the example you gave at the workplace, if you're honoring prasadam, and before that, reciting this mantra, probably, you know, People may, but at the same time, I've seen that's probably the first time. Once we do that every day, they know that's your habit, and nobody, you know, in fact, they start inquiring what you are doing, and that way, that's probably we find it an opportunity to preach, tell them about Krishna. So, yeah. I think it's very important that the time, place, and circumstances that we can't do it everywhere, but wherever whatever possible, pa- whatever we can. Yes, Thank yeah, you. very good. Yeah, that's true. Like when we, if we go someplace with my uh, brother and sister-in-law and things, they're used to, uh, as uh, Aunt Ananda, folding her hands and saying some prayers. They just say, "Okay, do your thing." <laughs> right. So they're yeah, they're kind of used to that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Shall we continue? It looks like we're probably not going to finish this chapter in the next twelve minutes. But we are. We will finish the chapter next week and start on uh, on uh, Dhruva Maharaj's pastime.
New path, totally new program. When Lord Vishnu accepted the oblations offered in the sacrifice, Daksha, the Prajapati, began uh, with great pleasure to offer respectful prayers to, unto him. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is actually the master of all sacrifices and preceptor of all the Prajapatis, and he is served even by great personalities as Nanda and Sunanda. Daksha addressed the Supreme Personality of Godhead, My dear Lord, you are transcendental to all speculative positions. That means you can't understand him just by your brain. You are completely spiritual, devoid of all fear, and you are always in control of material energy. Because we're all controlled by material energy. You are situated transcendentally. You are always free from material contamination because you are completely self-sufficient. The priest addressed the Lord saying, Oh Lord, so what's interesting here now, right, is that uh, there's all the, all, everyone present is going to say prayers to Lord Vishnu. And if we analyze them minutely, they're all kind of presenting it according to their realizations, their understanding of the Lord. Uh, just like a king, right? Uh, king, everyone sees the same king, but they see him differently, right? Um, you know, some, will, some thieves will see him as, you know, fear personified, right? Some... Uh, um, uh, proper citizens will see him as a protector, right? Um, the, the queen and the child, children will see him one way. His parents will see him in a different way, right? So it's the same person. So they're all kind of going to offer prayers to Vishnu according to their realizations. Daksha addressed, so he said, My dear Lord, you are trans... Oh, I already read that. Uh, you're, okay, so the next one, in 27, the priests addressed the Lord saying, O oh Lord, transcendental to material contamination, because the whole thing had been contaminated, right? The sacrificial arena. By the curse offered by Lord Shiva's men, we have become attached to fruitive activities, and thus we are now fallen and therefore do not know anything about you. On the contrary, we are now involved in the injunction of the three departments of the Vedic knowledge under the plea of executing rituals in the name of Yagna. We know that you have made arrangements for distributing the respectful shares to the demigods. So he's kind of, they're kind of being humble and saying, yeah, we're not devotees, we're entangled in material things. The members of the assembly address the Lord, O oh, exclusive shelter for all who are situated in troubled life. In this formidable fort of conditioned existence, the time element, like a snake, is always looking for an opportunity to strike. This world is full of ditches of so-called distress and happiness. And there are many ferocious animals always ready to attack. The fire of lamentation is always blazing and the mirage of false happiness is always alluring. But one uh, has no shelter from them. Thus, foolish persons live in the cycle of birth and death, always overburdened and discharging their so-called duties. And we do not know when they will accept the shelter of your lotus feet. So it's uh, um, where I work in the department. The Department of Interior is all—it's pretty much—it's all over America and a lot of the islands in the Pacific and Hawaii and uh, Alaska. 
Virgin Islands, but also because uh, they monitor all the earthquakes around the world. It's all over the world, actually. So I'm on this uh, email chain that comes out every day um, that the, the purpose behind it is to check on the safety of all the employees, right, scattered around the world. But really what it is, it's a, uh, a list of all the disasters going on in the world because, you know, there may be some employees, you know, affected by that. So like today I got something at 7.30 in the morning that there was a earthquake, 7.0 earthquake someplace. And now there's this huge list right now in America of the fires that are going on. And uh, our department uh, lost two firemen. They died um, and 11 are injured and, you know, and all and whatever else. So there, there's a, a typhoon and, you know, that, and becoming a... Uh, uh, a hurricane level, they call them typhoons if they're on the Pacific, right, for some reason. Uh, and so every day, <laughs> and there's not like, it's not like there's no day when there's no disaster, no, you know, some terrible thing happening, right? I, the, the, the present uh, car fire is, you know, a really bad one. It burnt, it, it, ruined, it, tore, it ruined an entire national park, burnt the entire Whiskey Town National Park or whatever it's called. So, you know, every day, you know, uh, I get this, and it kind of reminds me, you know, Krishna's not joking when he says, Dukalayam Ashashvatam, right? That it's a, play, a temporary place of miseries. Is that on? You have to press the button so it turns, till it turns green. You were talking about, um, I was thinking, if your mind is not completely in the present moment, is your mind is not completely what? In the present moment. In the present moment. Yeah. Do you not have a tendency to project into other people? Like, have you? I've noticed that for myself. Right. If my mind is not completely in the present moment. I project like. Uh, well, and Krishna says that in the Gita. He says, "Na soshati, na kangshati." He says that uh, um, to be a spiritual-minded person, uh, one. His mind, like you said, should be in the present. You shouldn't lament about the past or hanker about the future. And our one of our great acharyas, one of our great teachers, his picture is just around the corner there, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He said, um, forget the past that sleeps. And then he says, nor in the future dream at all. But as you're saying, be in times that are with thee, and fortune ye shall call. So yes, uh, an important part of spiritual practices, especially when we're doing our sadhana, our spiritual practices, to be very much absorbed in the present in those practices rather than thinking, oh, okay, I got to, you know, deal with this. And I got, like for me, right, I'm if I'm chanting and I'm thinking, I got to get my computer fixed and how am I going to do that because I'm going to be traveling all week. And, you know, so when one is, uh, especially when one is doing one's spiritual practices, one should be absorbed in the present. And then, hopefully, that can also translate into uh, throughout the day, being present when we're talking to people, not wishing we were somewhere else, <laughs> right, and, and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't mean we can't plan, take the time to plan things. To vote, you know, people make pla we make plans to spread Krishna consciousness. Uh, we make plans to hold a festival. Uh, we don't say, oh, I just want to be in the present, so we're not going to plan the festival at all, and John Massimi comes along, and then we'll figure it all out. <laughs> right? No, but the point is that often the mind 
just goes into the worrying about the future, lamenting about the past without any purpose except uh, being controlled by the modes of material nature. So I think it's a good time to stop because we're just about to hear Lord Shiva's prayers, uh, starting in text 29. So we will finish. Let's be realistic. We'll probably just finish the next chapter next week. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we will be back next uh, week. Um, I have a lot of travel between now and then. I have to go to Portland, Oregon, and Nashville, Tennessee. But Krishna willing, back here on Sunday. So have a wonderful week in Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna.